You are listening to the Ingenious Podcast, where God's word is shared to build undisputed champions and mighty redeemers. This message is brought to you by the Ingenious Network. Enjoy the message. Without uh, the Spirit talking about pursuit of of, of, of honor, and I, I thought it would be good to I've discussed that 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 pursuit with you, and with the hope of uh, guiding us as we seek to get closer to God and and live with Him. So, um, the text I wanted to read is from the Book of Acts, uh, one through eight. I think it has been the quintessential defining text for the fast. So, I wanted to revisit that uh, and and help us really meditate on it, and and hopefully God will speak to our hearts and our minds and. And our soul. So I want to I want to read it first. <clears throat> so if you have your Bible, um, Acts chapter three, uh, verses one through uh, one through eight. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at a time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver, gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him get up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at a temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is a very significant story in the history of Christianity and in the history of our faith. And I think oftentimes when we look at the scripture, the first thing that seems to jump at us is the miracle that happened. So a lot of preachers will say, you know, I pray that God would lift you up and, you know, get you to be able to walk, you know, whatever um, crippling effect in your life that I, I pray that God will be able to kind of lift you up. And and so the attention is often really drawn to the spectacular nature of the miracle. I mean, like what is more spectacular about not being able to walk and someone walks by and alters the name of someone, and then you begin to walk. It is just filled with amazement and filled with with awe. But at the same time, I think the story is also significant, and I have always wondered why Luke who take the time to highlight this story at this particular time in the life of the apostles and Christians. So this scripture is sandwiched between two stories. The first story is around the Pentecost. Remember, the Holy Spirit comes, descends on people. They begin to speak in tongues. 
And by get to chapter 2, verse 43, this is when the disciples began to, uh, and the <laughs> they began to sell their properties so that they would be able to attend to the, those who were poor. Uh, scripture says that they began to be filled with the Spirit and they were doing miracles, right? Up to this point, nothing was really happening aside the fact that they were ministering to people. And right after that, this story is told. And following this story, the first thing that happened to Peter and John is that they are then hauled in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the leaders of, of, of Judaism to question them as to why they are performing these miracles. Then the authorities begin to realize that this is a big threat. You see, this story in some way marks the beginning of the persecution of Christians in one way. It started with Peter and John uh, being brought to the, to the leader. So I've always wondered, like, why would God tell this, us this particular story that are so defining for Christianity? You know, one of the things that people have talked about why Christianity spreads so much is because of persecution, right? At some point in time, they were so gathered in Jerusalem and they weren't moving out. But when the persecution of them began to happen, that is when they began to leave Jerusalem and go to other places in attempt to hide, in attempt to spread the gospel. And that is how this gospel began to spread. So if, if the catalyst of our faith is as a result of the, of, of the persecution that Christians began to face, then this story is such an immense historical significance in our Christian faith. And I, I do not think that this man ever dreamt that his parallelism, his lameness in the context of scripture was going to be a foundation for you and I, our faith. And I think I wanted to highlight that to you to see the, the importance of this particular scripture. But today I want to talk to you about using this scripture to talk to you about three things. The first is all, all of them are linked to the theme of pursuit of honor. And the first is the problem of dishonor. The second one is the attempt to get honor. And the last one is the path of restoration to honor. So the problem of, of, of dishonor, the attempt to honor, to get honor, and then the restoration of honor. These are the three things I want to kind of talk to you about. Because I think that when you are pursuing anything, the very first foundation is that you are lacking something. That is the very reason that you are pursuing. No one pursues anything unless they desire for something or they desire to have or possess a particular characteristic or quality or good. So when we are pursuing something, there is a state inherent in it. it is a, there's a problem that we are trying to fix. And so how, what is the problem that this person is facing? How is he trying to solve that problem and the inadequacies in that problem? And how is God really, uh, at the end of the day, what was the right path for him to be able to get the honor that he wanted? So the problem. First of all, scripture tells us that this man is lame. So in some way he can't walk. So people have to carry him somewhere. The second thing we learn is that he's sitting in front of a beautiful gate, okay? And, and historically, within uh, the temple history of, of the Israelites, there, were, there was a court for, for Israelites. This is a place where they came and, and worshiped. But before you get to that court, there is a court of women. You know, in, in the olden days, like, 
you know, women didn't have a lot of status in, in many ways. And men had all the status and the power. And they were the only ones who would be able to enter into the presence of God. They were the only ones who were able to go into the temple and fully participate in worship. And so there was a quote for women where women would be there. And they, they said there were about 15 stood before you got to the court of women. And that is where this man was sitting. It was a place where he was completely excluded from the religious practices of his day. And it was just solely because the problem he had was that he couldn't really walk. When we look at the people at the time, he was occupying a place of dishonor. Hmm. But what is even more telling about it, the place of dishonor is if you look at verse Five, verse 4 I want you to pay attention to that he said that Peter looked at straight at him <laughs> and, and so so, so here he's, he's sitting on the ground and okay. Peter is looking at him so he had to literally go down and look at the man in his eye see I'm a, I'm a social scientist you know and, and so I study human behavior and societies and that's where my training comes from. And so when, when people don't look at you in the eye, there are two implications of that. The first one is either the culture doesn't allow you to look at people in the eye when you are speaking or you are interacting with them, or there is a level of internal characteristic that is, or, or a feeling in you or a habit in you that doesn't allow you to be able to look at people in the eye. So the first one is that he's not looking at people in the eye. And, and could you imagine like this? Why wouldn't he look at people in the eye? It's other people also not looking at him. And, and, and we have very first-hand experience of this in Ghana. Like, look at people who beg on the street. When you don't want to give them money, do you know what you, we typically do? You don't look at them in the face. Because the moment you look at them in the face, there is, there's a tug in your heart. There's a guilt in your heart that you want to be able to, that you have to give them something. So in order to, to, to feel good about yourself, in order not to engage, what you do is that you don't necessarily even look at them in the eye. And so this man is living and sitting in a place where people are not even looking at him in the face. And he's gotten so used to that, that to the point that when he saw Peter and John, he wasn't looking at them in the eye. The other one is that the reason why you also don't look at people in the eye is when you feel ashamed about something. I don't know how about you, but when you've done something wrong and, 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 and you don't want to face people, what do we do? We hide our faces. We, we don't want to engage people. And so sometimes it is a feeling of shame. It is a feeling that we've done something wrong to the point that we can come before people. And so this man was occupying a place in, in his own life where he can neither look at people in the eye, he can neither participate in the religious entity of the time, and he's in an outcast position in his culture. That is the problem. Hmm. You may think that you are very, very, very different from them, but I, I know a lot of us are Ghanaians and our culture is structured around honor. Our culture is structured around pleasing people in the social sphere. 
our culture is structured around trying to find a way to to be honorable particularly if if you live in abroad oftentimes we, we they, they make fun of people living abroad because they will build huge mansions at home but they never live in it and they'll the big reason is that they want honor or people are wanting to get married and they don't be finding challenging to find a partner or they want to have a kid and they cannot have a child and our society shames them our society brings dishonor onto them they are not included in society some of you are struggling in your own careers you're trying to make it you're trying to make your parents proud you're trying to make your wife proud you're trying to make your partner your children proud and and in the things that you're doing what are you trying to do you're trying to look for honor and so how is he going about this scripture says that he goes down and he sits at the beautiful gate you see when you look at scripture there are two main solutions this guy could have taken you remember the story about the angel stirring the water? You know, there was a, a place of called the pool for invalids or the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. Remember the guy who, when once a year, the water would get stirred and then he the, 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 those who couldn't walk or those who were sick would get into the water and then they would get cleansed. Remember that story? And, and, and this guy has been trying for years and years and every time he tries to get into the water, he doesn't get there in time. And so someone gets into the water he, and he never gets cured until Jesus meets him and tells him to take his mat and walk. You remember that story? So, so this man who is lame and cannot walk, he can choose to have gone into that particular place to sit there and wait for each and every year to be able to get into that water. But he chose not to do that. And it's even really telling that he chose not to do that because like he had people that were carrying him to the temple day in and day out. And in that in the previous story about the per- person trying to get into the water in John chapter 5, his problem was that he didn't have anyone to get him into the water. So every time when, when the Spirit of God came to stir the water, he was so late to get into the water that he never got healed. This man didn't have that particular problem. He had people who could help him. But you see, both the people that were helping him, he himself, chose a very specific location to go because that was his way of addressing the problem that he had. His solution to the problem is the material solution to the problem. And the material solution is this, that he goes into the temple and and and, and commentary will tell you that where he is sitting, you know where? He is sitting at a place where those who are going to give a sacrifice, you know, the offering and the sacrifice to God, when they have things and going to sacrifice in the temple, that is the path that they really take. And so he's strategically positioning himself so that when people were going into the, to the church to give their offering to God, they will feel guilty enough to be able to give him something. He is positioning himself in a place to maximize his benefit. And the solution he wants is the material solution to his problem. My brothers and sisters, how many times are we finding material solutions to our own problems? How many times are we trying to find a perfect job and the perfect spaces where we can get customers and be in a position where we can get all the benefit. But he realizes that religious people can also be called 
they won't look at them in the eye. They won't pay attention to him. Some will give him money and some will not. That was his attempt. But God had a specific plan for him. And which it brings me to the last point, which is the path to honor. Peter and John looks at him in the eye and tells him, I have nothing to give you. I have neither silver and I know gold, but what I have is Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I will cause you to walk because you know what? That was his longing. The money that he was looking for, the, the arms that he was begging was just a, was it was just a stopgap. It was just was just a means to an end. You see, sometimes we, we work so hard to get so much money, but yet we don't feel the inner satisfaction. We are still crippled because each and every time we get it, it's not enough. Some of us are looking for things and we are here praying for things. And I bet you and I trust God and I know God will give those things to you, but you also realize that it's still not enough. Because the solution we are looking for to our problem are very material. And God said, I can give you something more. I can, I can bring you something more. And what does is, what is Peter and John do to bring the person more? Scripture said he did look at them in the eye. That's the first thing. You know, Jesus sometimes says that you are the apple of his eye. In a sense, that he, he looks at you and see through you and see what is your deepest longing. And my friends, our deepest longing it's not the material goods that we need. Our deepest longing is for God to look at us in the eye, to remove the shame that we have, to remove the, 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 the longing of trying to find honor in a place that is so hard to be able to do so. He said, I want to look at you in the eye because you matter to me. You see, I left, he, he, he left his whole kingdom to come down because when he sees us not walking, when we are created to walk, he comes and say, you are the very particular person I want to walk with. You are the very particular person I want to see today. The answer to our problem is not only material, it's also about God looking at us. In your own life, you're going to come across a lot of people who are chasing after the wind, a lot of people who are chasing after things. And you'll you, you be tempted to also give them silver and gold. You'll be tempted to be able to just provide what the material needs are. But I want to tell you this. There is nothing more empowering by looking at them in the eye and recognizing who God has made them. The second one that he did was that he gave them what he had. And what he had was Jesus Christ. How can you give something that you don't have? And so today my challenge to you is that do you really know the Christ that you are trying here to serve? Do you really know him? Or are you here to just use him to get what you want? Do you, do you really know him? Is it, is it enough for you to be able to give to people? You, you, you see what I'm saying? Is, is Christ enough? 
when you cannot give them silver and gold, when your beauty cannot get them to where you are, where, 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 where your, your knowledge and your power and your influence cannot get them to where is 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 Christ enough? And the extent to which you believe that Christ is enough is the extent to which you'll be able to restore them into a place of honor. My friends, what are we giving to the world that we have? What are we giving to the people around us? Are we not tired giving silver and gold? The last thing Peter and John did was that if you look at verse chapter 7, it says that taking him by the right hand, he helped him get up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. You know what Peter did? He just don't give them what they have. He said, I'm going to walk beside you. I'm going to give you my hand and walk with you. Our world is in so much pain. And some of you have friends and family in places that are difficult to walk. We will tell them about Jesus. Yes, we will give them the Jesus we have, but we will never walk with them in their pain. We will never walk with them to find the solutions to the problems. Some of us try to extend our hand without giving Jesus. Some of us give Jesus without giving them a helping hand. How can I walk if I'm still there? In the verse 9, see the honor he gets. This is what he's been longing for. So when all the people saw him walking, praising God, ah, they recognized him in the same man who used to sit, begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. <laughs> you see, he was at a gate that was beautiful, but he himself wasn't beautiful. But it was until when someone looked at them in the eye. It was until when someone gave the Jesus they have. It was until when someone helped them walk. That is when they were restored into honor. Filled with so much joy. This is this is the gospel. And this is why, why Luke is highlighting the story. Is that it is the story of restoration. It is the story of of, of being filled with awe and be filled with power because, because the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. So the pursuit of honor is the pursuit of the Christ, is the pursuit of God in us and God helping us to be able to get into the gate. So my last charge to you is are you really bringing people to the temple? Because that's what he, that was what John and Peter did. How, how are you counting your blessings? Is it in how many prophecies you can do? Is it in how many prayers you can pray? Is it in how many scriptures you can do? Are those the things that are bringing you honor? my call to you is a call of evangelism it's a call in a heart for Jesus to have them and to give them but when you're able to give them my brothers and sisters so many lame people could walk and their own burdens will also be lifted so I want to bring my message to an end by praying for you and God bless you for listening. Maranatha, the Lord comes.